There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes, welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. You want to start again? Yes, yes, welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. It's questions from the audience. Why did I go into that voice? That's a question for next week. This week, uh, people have sent in questions to the email, Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Uh, and I just, uh, I didn't think we were going to have the, uh, studio availability. So I wasn't, I didn't even post, uh, on the TMA fan page, which now is over 7,000 members, Woot. um, to ask for questions until like three minutes ago, but yet yeah, questions are still coming in nonetheless. Uh, and, and, and today as I record, this is the day the Plowhawk has returned to the Ryan Kelly morning after Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsor here on the program, thehomeloanexpert.com. Interest rates have dropped, so if you're looking to buy a home, as so many people do at this time of the year, or you want to refinance, go to thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show, and just really a good guy. Like every, when I, anytime I go into my spots, I talk about how good the people are who are involved with this thing, and it's I'm, I'm really glad that they are because I have to endorse them, but I'm endorsing them because they are good people, whether it be James Carlton, Mark Hanna, Ryan Kelly, Seth Goldcamp, Design Air Heating and Cooling, Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet, and the Landoff family. It's easy to do it because I really know these people. I use their services, and I think highly of them. So I would say the exact same thing, of course, about the HomeLoanExpert.com. So uh, I figured there'd be questions about the Plowhawks' return, um, and that is one of the questions on the fan page. And I feel like, okay, I'll get into it here. Um, as much as I, I don't— it's it's odd because I really don't know what to say. There's always stuff, as I always say, that stays in the room. Um, but, you know, the, this question asked by a gentleman by the name of Greg Jones, I know there probably isn't much you can say, but I'll ask anyway. Any more details you could give on how the return of the Plow 4-5 came to happen? Uh, and that's in reference to the Plow Hawk, the Plow Jet, the Plow Boy. Take your pick. Um you know, it's at some point because I'm I'm sitting here. Every every everything on questions from the audience is is a, is just a, like a, it's constant. Let me digress, um, and that's essentially what it should be called. Let me digress, and I'll see if I can get back on. And Pete, last week I asked you to remember. Do you remember what I asked you to remember? Yes, you want to know how the DraftKings players did. Yes, that I good. Okay, good. So we're gonna be we're gonna be on that, but. Uh, that was the one thing that I wanted to make sure regarding QFTA this week. But regarding um, the Plowhawk situation, and I was thinking to myself, I really do, because I'm always looking for something. I can't help myself. And how many times have I said that since we started this podcast? That I just, I want to keep, it's like if somebody called me or texted me or emailed me and said, I want to, I'm interested in this. What do you think? Not that I'm sitting here as like some venture capitalist. That's not what I'm saying. Although, you know, I, I, I suppose I would be potentially interested in, but I want, I just, I can't help myself. I always want to be doing more. It's just my nature. It's not necessarily a good thing, 
but it is who I am. And at this point, I just, I guess I kind of have accepted it, especially once you have a large amount of years and this is the way you feel. It's just, it's just the way that it is. And I kind of wish I was more like the Plowhawk and I'd be focused on my PlayStation NCAA 14 dynasties and could enjoy myself. It's not the way that I'm wired. So be it. I certainly do enjoy now um, spending time um, with my wife and my son. And it's just that that's, that's when I am like, that's like, I, I swear to you, it's like field of dreams. Uh, some of these moments I'm sure many parents can can relate to. Um, now, with that all said, part of me is like, because people said oh, it would be great if you could like write a book. And I'm like, yeah, it'd be great, except like 30 people would care about it, you know, so it might not be the best use of my time. At the same time, the stories might be so batshit that people would outside of TMA listeners and outside of St. Louis might actually read it. So maybe it, maybe it is worth it. At the very least I could memorialize. And for some reason, my wife and I, a couple nights ago, were talking about some of the things, you know, at this point there's 11 years, um, of stuff. And, and I was saying this and that, and then she goes, yeah, but remember this? And I go, oh my God, how could I forget that? Yeah, that, that was brutal. And it's like, fortunately I can remember them. And it's weird, I know, that I can remember dates and years and, you know, where people were sitting in rooms when things happened and all of these things. Um, but I guess I still could do it, even though a lot of this stuff goes back a long time. And so, you know, file the Plowhawk return is another chapter, I suppose, to give a, to give a, you know, a loose outline of it without violating the code. Um you know, the, the, I, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if I do want to get into it because then it's like, I might violate the code. The, the, the things that I guess I can say from a position of confidence and not feel like I'm, you know, saying something out of school, so to speak, um, is that the, the plowhawk was going to, he was frustrated and, uh, was going to leave, um, I guess at this point it would be 22 days ago because it started on Tuesday, probably like March, whatever the Tuesday would have been, like March 25th, 26th or something along those lines, whatever that was. Because um, I know I returned to St. Louis on Saturday, March 30th. So 29th, 28th, 27th, so the 26th. And the Plowhawk and I talked that afternoon and I gave him, you know, you know, I said, listen, and I will say this to anybody and, and it's going to happen. And I always say this too. If and when whoever it is of the six of us on TMA uh, say, I've got another opportunity, I want to take the opportunity and I'm, I'm going to move on, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that without question, and it doesn't matter who it is, I'd be happy for the person, you know, um, that, that's, it's kind of, you know, why wouldn't you? I'd be sad for us selfishly on the show, but I'd be happy if somebody's making the choice to leave and go do something different. In the case of the Plowhawk, you know, there were some circumstances that, that made it a, a different situation. And either way, though, you know, I, I, I was, you know, campaigning, for lack of a better term, to him to, to, to grind it out, it gave him my reasons, um, because I really do believe, you know, I think if there's something that stands out perhaps to the audience, you know, and they would like 
some people would send DMs to me or emails to me is if I wasn't aware of it. But it's fine. I get it. I think they were just frustrated. And so they, they, I'm the person that they, they vent to, which is totally cool, man. I mean, it comes with the territory. I, I want that. If anything, I want feedback, good or bad, doesn't matter. You can't, he's, he, I told him this when we were talking. I think I even have it in text exchanges to him. Uh, you know, he's irreplaceable. Now people can say, well, everybody's replaceable. Okay, it's a matter of opinion. In this context, for the show, uh, he's irreplaceable. And by that, I mean, it's a personality that is a key part of the show. And it's a unique personality. It's not concocted, created in a lab. It's his personality. And it's it's certainly different than Iggy's. It's different than mine. It's different than the Cats, Jay's, Charlie's, and Doug's. And it's different than Gangster Pete for his occasional cameos when he's on the air. And so it's missed. And you can't just put somebody in there. And on top of it, he wasn't just a board operator who knew the show and then therefore the drops that people came to love and also the stuff that we like to play as far as audio goes. He was also, you know, in the, in the role of kind of like a hybrid and that he would also be on the air. And then that was missing. And so when it all happened, I truly was, and I don't like, and I know I've said it on another questions from the audience and I said it on the radio today, I was relative to career, you know, cause I know people who battle depression and I don't want to just throw the word depressed around loosely, but in the, in relative to a professional experience, I truly was depressed. Um, I, I, you know, I, I. that, that weekend, the 30th and 31st were as low as I have been professionally since the Albert Pujols, Jack Clark thing six years ago. Um, and it's not like it's been easy in between those six years, but that conveys, I guess, the depths that were going on. And, and it wasn't, it, it was a combination of things. It was a combination of um, what had transpired, it was, um, that I couldn't do anything about it. And, and then also then the reality comes, even though the weekend itself was tough that, oh, here's Monday. And now he's not going to be on the show. I have to attempt to explain it to the audience, knowing that I can't go into all the detail. Um, and, uh, and then this, this key part of the show is missing. And on top of that, another thing that I noticed was the guys on the show were, down about it. I mean, clearly down about it. Uh, you know, I think, I think, you know, it's like to kind of give a behind the scenes on the personalities of the show. And I think we talked about this Pete a couple weeks ago, like Doug is the, the absolute ultimate coworker. Right. Um, cause he just rolls with it. I think also a lot of that comes with just dealing with so much bullshit in this business. And I'm talking, it doesn't matter. Radio, television, it's just, it's kind of what you, you, you kind of just like, oh, here's another thing, um, you know, and so it's not like he was happy about it by any means, but it's just like, you know, it's another thing. But like you and Iggy and me, uh, I think the cat was out, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we're all just really, really down. And and so, and then I could tell there was a difference on the show. Um you know, not that that was surprising. Of course there was. And again, none of this is like a shot at Lucas, who was the board operator for those two weeks. Uh, it's, it, it's not surprising. It does. It doesn't matter who it would have been. It would have been, it could have been Stedman who, for those who go back to the, the early days of the show, you know, his, his ability to play drops would put us in awe because we didn't even know we were going to go somewhere. And that mean he had, that meant he had to have his finger on the mouse in order to play the drop. So he could see where we were going before we even went there. 
So from a board operator standpoint, if you're just going to ISO it on that, Stedman's is good. I, we can't ever possibly have another a, a better board operator, board operator than Stedman. But Stedman didn't talk, you know. Plowhawk, and I love Stedman. Not, I mean, I think Stedman knows how much I, I think Stedman's uncomfortable with how much I love him. But but the Plowhawk did, and on top of it, he's like this likable stoner guy, uh, and is is just was was just gone. And the audience is pissed. Uh, we're not happy. And then we're still doing the show. And it's like a part of the show. And it was the first time, truly, um, since uh, January of 2007 that somebody was no longer the show who still wanted to be on the show. And so that was a really tough spot. Um, you know, the day we flew back from Florida, which is just, um, it's a, that's a difficult day for a variety of reasons. Um, first off, we love living there and that makes it difficult. Um, we're traveling with a one-year-old that makes it difficult. And we've lived in a place for two and a half months and you're packing, you know, a lot of that got shipped, but the most of it was still behind and you're traveling with a one-year-old and you're getting all of this stuff onto a flight. And we were driving down I-95 to the airport. And I just told my wife, I said, I'm not in a good place. I'm in a really bad place. I was, I was mentally and emotionally in a really, I said, and I know this is not, I, I know this is, we're late for our flight to return to our home after not being there for two and a half months. We have a one-year-old who, I mean, I couldn't love him anymore, but he is a high energy one-year-old. And, and I'm, I'm, as Doug likes to say at the start of TMA, I'm not going to be much good to you. But I didn't say it in a joking way. I was like, I'm really in a bad place. I'm in a really bad place. And, you know, and I took that flight to write to the audience on the TMA fan page some background on, you know, some things that have gone on that I've never talked about and plenty of things that I didn't write about that are that are kind of holstered for whenever the next thing is that comes um, to express, you know, my frustration and my... Uh, you know, some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes that people just aren't aware of. And then part of me is like, God, I just, I, I just kind of just need to be above that stuff. But I was just so down about it. And I don't even know if it helped or not. Cause, cause like we've talked about here, you know, there's some who just want to see it fail or me fail or just like drama as it is. And it's kind of like now you're feeding, feeding that. But then I also, just because you have, you can't, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And just because you have a handful of those who, you know, want, negativity or drama that you don't communicate with the other 6,990. Um, and so, you know, that's what I did. And, and so Anna Maria and I were talking about, she goes, well, why is this any different than the other billion times things have happened? And yet you never talked about those. I said, well, because on those, I was able to stand in front of the bullet and they didn't get public because we were able to avoid the thing that was going to happen from happening. And on this one, I couldn't do it, tried, couldn't do it, and now it's public. And now there are some in the audience who are upset with me, and I, I got I to gotta communicate with the audience. I can't lose the audience. The audience is what, when it really gets down to it, what's irreplaceable is the audience. And even if they still disagree with me when I lay it all out there, um, I have to be able to communicate with the audience. And I said, I had to do this then. I had to do it then. I know that put you on full-time duty with Jameson as we flew. Um, 
but I just, I needed that release. I needed to be able to, you know, get, say as much as I could without going into everything, you know? And, um, you know, along those lines with what has transpired to get the Plowboy back, um, I don't know. I mean, it, I, it, like I said, I, I think I think that the truth of this one, whereas there's some stories that, that people don't even know the stories themselves exist. Uh, and I would tell them and I would and I would give detail after detail after detail if and when I were to do this. And like I said, probably for legal reasons, I, I can't. People would go no fucking way. And then I would say, and I go, oh, fuck, you think that's amazing? I'm 10 I'm percent in. And then I'd tell another deal. I go, no fucking way. And they're like, now you're just fucking with, now you're just making shit up. And I'm like, this is true. And then ideally I would still have text messages or whatever to prove that, that it happened, um, you know, for things that are recent, but some of these things go back pre text messages. Uh, and you just go, no fucking way. No way. There's, there's no way. And I'd be like, yes, this really happened. Uh, with the Plowboy return story, honestly, it's not, it's not in the no fucking way category. Um, it's, uh, again, I don't, I, and because it doesn't involve me directly, I don't, I don't, I don't want to ever violate, you know, like if somebody, like if I owned or ran the station and somebody was doing a podcast talking about the business of the station, I wouldn't be happy unless that person cleared it with me to talk about it by going into the business of the station on the, the, that person's podcast. So I hope you can understand where I'm coming from when I say, I don't, I don't know what I can and what I cannot say. Um, but I, I will say this, there really isn't a whole lot of drama to the story of the Plowhawks return. And I swear to you on that. Um, I was, I was, the, the bottom line is I'm thrilled he's back. I mean, that's, 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 that's really kind of what it is. And truthfully, there just isn't much drama to it. Um, you know, I think, um, the audience made it clear how unhappy they were. Um, that wasn't surprising to me in any way. I never got involved in it. I never would get involved in it. Um, when you had the Jim Hayes situation in August, September of 2017, um, I did ask the audience to email their support and I presented those emails to, uh, Randy Markell, who owns the station to just show, you know, how many people, uh, really want the cat to be part of the show. Um, on this one, you know, with the fan page, as popular as this page has become, people were able to see it themselves. And I never, I just was not, I, I, ne I never want to get the mob going. I never want to, uh, incite a mob, so to speak, I guess would be the better way to say it. And so, you know, people were unhappy and there wasn't really anything that, that I was going to say that was going to change their minds because I was unhappy as well. Doug Vaughn was unhappy as well. The cat was unhappy as well. Pete was unhappy as well. Iggy was unhappy as well. Uh, because this guy, you know, it's one thing if you're working with somebody and behind, and it, it can be a weird spot because on the air, the person might, people are like, oh, he's great. He's great. Great. But then internally we're all kind of like, oh shit, this guy's kind of a problem and there's things going on and the public doesn't know about it. And then you get in a weird spot, but the Plowhawk was, is fortunately is, he's just, I mean, he just, he, he is exactly what you would think he is. He is just a laid back dude who for whatever reason I have no idea what the hell he's doing on Twitter but whatever but either way he's a he's a laid-back dude who's a good guy you know and he's a guy who I truly and I who knows how long all of us are doing this shit I have no idea I always say that but I truly think it um and I'm, I'm talking about just being in the business in general 
Uh, but but if I am in the business for however much longer, I, he's a guy I could see working with for however much longer. Um, so when that was, and it's like, and, and you know, and we were on the phone and we were texting and it's kind of like this, you know, weird thing because it's in a way it's emotional and it's too, you know, it's a 42 year old and a 30 year old being emotional about, you know, but it's like, you know, I just, in the back of my mind, but I never wanted to say it in the back of my mind. I'm like, I don't think this is over. You know, that's, that's what, but I couldn't say that. And even if I didn't think it was over necessarily now, it didn't mean that it wouldn't necessarily be back on in play later. But I, but I didn't want to say that stuff because then it could be viewed as, you know, like it could just be taken the wrong way. And I'm just not looking to create any, any other issues. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's an irreplaceable part of the show because of his personality. We could bring somebody in, especially somebody who's familiar with the show and, and, and they could, they could play drops and be a great board operator. That, that, that part is trainable truly is that, that that's trainable. I mean, there've been a lot of board operators on TMA. I couldn't even name them all. And it's nothing against them. Like if you refresh my memory, I'd be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And, and we were fine, but it was his personality. And that's the part you can't replace. That's why I always talk about why I like radio or podcasting more than television. In television, you truly are replaceable because they'll get somebody else in to read off the prompter. And unless you're like in a zip zeppa kind of mode in the 1980s, anybody can do what you're doing because they almost like suck the personality out of you to make you replaceable. I think it's been part of ESPN's strategy here over the last few years to like not allow a Dan Patrick or a Rich Eisen or Stuart Scott or Keith Olbermann back in the heyday or Craig Kilborn to emerge because they can keep the salaries lower because they have no leverage. I really do think that I it could be completely off my fucking rocker here, but I really do think that, uh, but radio, it's a different program. I mean, I don't, I mean, you know, I'm always happy when we're not in the newspaper or stltoday.com, like in a major way. I can't tell you how much like I, on Friday mornings, I exhale when I see we're not, our show's not written about, um, but I'm like, God, I would have wondered if they're going to write about this. And has, has Dan Caesar or the Post-Dispatch ever written about a board operator not being on a radio station? Has it ever gotten to that point? But had it been written about, it would have been the most read story, one of the most read stories on, on the Post-Dispatch's website. And, and, and to outsiders who wouldn't know what the hell's going on, they'd be like, why in the world are you writing about a board operator? But as I always would tell people, he's infinitely more than a board operator. He truly is irreplaceable. And so for him to be back is, is something that makes all of us on the show so happy because it's a key piece of the show. It's just, it's just the way that it is. Um, and you know, I mean, it's just, it, I'm so, um, I'm saying like he, and he really wanted to come back too. you know, that's the other thing. This wasn't like a, yeah, I guess I'll do it. You know, he really, and he did truly have another job. Uh, that he, I guess he was going to start today actually was the, was the day. So it's a great thing. I can't say it's just, you know, and it was just like, it's the proverbial cliche of it's like riding a bike. He was just right back in and doing his thing. And, you know, I am, uh, I'm thrilled and I'm thrilled to see the audience so happy as well. So um grateful for what has transpired in that in the end. Uh, everything was made right again. So uh, thank you for the question. I hope, as always, that's another name for the podcast. I hope I answered your question. I might not have. But truly, it's not like I'm like, yeah, and then this happened, and then he said this to him, and then that happened. I've got plenty of those, but that wasn't, that that didn't happen with this. I mean, over the years, you know, 
I mean, some, like I said, some shit where you'd go, you're making this up. Unfortunately, like the cat or dog or take your pick go, no, that, or Martin could go, no, that actually really happened. I know this sounds like it's not possible, but this really happened. Uh, let's see. Uh, biggest surprise, both positive and negative so far for the Cardinals. I am stunned by the poor pitching. Stunned. Stunned. And I'm I'm really concerned. And I said this on Monday, the week before, when they then rattled off uh, the sweep of what was one of the best teams in baseball at the time, the Dodgers, which then also stunned me. Um, but I am really taken aback by how bad, you can't even say how subpar, how bad the starting pitching is, how many home runs they're giving up. Um, you know, at first it was like, how are they going to get from the starters to the ninth inning? And then who's going to be the guy that can shut them down in the ninth innings? I'm not a hundred percent sure it's Jordan Hicks. And now it's like, how are they going to get to the fucking fourth inning? It is bad. I mean, it is bad. And I am really taken aback and I'm really concerned because a lot of guys, not just one, a lot of guys have to get right. And I don't know what to make of it. And, and, you know, and, and here's the thing because I know that sports talk radio and these kinds of discussions are fueled by anger and then placing the blame on people. I totally understand that. I don't know who you blame on this. I guess John Mazalak will get blamed just because that's, I guess he's kind of next in line after Mike Matheny was let go. But, uh, I mean, the guys who are failing are guys who were great or really good last year. You know, I mean, this isn't like, this isn't like, you know, they went out and signed somebody and people were kind of concerned about him and then he's failing. These are guys who really delivered last year and are just looking helpless out there and just getting hammered. And that's not to even get into going on the offensive side where you have some major concerns. It's just some of those concerns aren't as surprising as the pitching. But that is that is really surprising to me. I am taken aback as somebody who was on the Cardinals over, not that I bet it, but I was on the Cardinals over of, uh, of 88 and a half. And to see what has gone on here. I mean, wow. It's, it is, it is, I mean, there's, there's no way to, there's no way to overstate it. It is a major concern. It's like, okay, well maybe Michaelis can get right. Fine. Then what's going to happen with Waka? What's going to happen with, I mean, for, you know, didn't necessarily stun me to see Dakota Hudson get, you know, hit around the ballpark on Monday night in Milwaukee. It did stun me for Jack Flaherty to experience that. That, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm telling you, you know, this was not, this was not something I was expecting at all uh, with this team. Just to let you know where everybody's ERAs are. Uh, Miles Michaelis is at a six. Jack Flaherty is at a five. Uh, what do we got here with, uh, yeah, Adam Wainwright's at 3.94. I mean, and that was with one really crappy start. Michael Watkins at 5.28. Dakota Hudson's at 6.08. I mean, this is, this is rough. And that's what I'm saying. This isn't, and then on top of it, the guys that you're kind of like, well, ideally they can also use Alex Reyes. I mean, he's already been shipped down to Memphis. It's not like he's tearing it up there. And, um, and, and Carlos Martinez, who knows what the hell's going to go on there? I mean, this is just, this is, this is in a different world here. This is the, you know, it's kind of like last year. It's like, okay, they start screwing around and it gets bad. And it's like, you know, that I, at least I thought Matheny would get let go at the end of the year. That's what I thought was going to happen. I didn't expect it to happen when it did. Um, but 
this, I don't know. I don't know who you point the finger at and what direction you go. You have players not performing like they did seven months ago. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of it. So, um, I am, I'm really concerned. And if they turn it around and go on a tear, then great. It's kind of like my MLS prediction or my prediction on the blues in game four. Um, I stand by them. And if they wind up being wrong, they wind up being wrong. And I deserve the criticism because I'm saying, but right now I am really concerned because there are so many guys. I mean, I guess you've been pitching at Milwaukee for what, six at this point. They're about to start their seventh road game in Milwaukee. It's not an easy place to pitch. It's a bad matchup for the Cardinals with no lefties, uh, in the rotation and one lefty in the bullpen. But, uh, it's, it's a concern. And then, like I said, that's not even getting into the offense which it's not like that's great, you know. I mean, who gets you excited right now offensively? Like, for real, I think people would go Marcelo Zuna, you know. I mean, you still get excited about Goldschmidt, but the man's hitting 227. Now I realize he's got a, a great OPS. Uh, DeYoung's OPS is 1.176, Goldschmidt 1.028, Ozuna 1.218, and Wong 1.135. So it's hard to argue with, with what you're getting there. Uh, and that just shows how misleading batting averages can be. But, you know, wow, the starting pitching. Holy shit. And the amount of home runs they give up. Holy shit. So, yeah, legitimately super concerned. Uh, so it's a good question because you're right on target. Uh, let's see. Um, will you ever tell the whole Pujols incident story? Yeah, I will. Uh, it won't be today. Uh, it probably, I, I like, I, like I was saying, I do need to just like write this stuff. I guess I do. Um, and a lot of people go, no, or you're making up or whatever. And I'd be like, no, this is, this is what happened. And cause I, cause, because one huge part of the story, like no one knows, not no one, but like less than five people know. And fortunately I have the audio. So it's when, whenever someone would say, oh, I'm making it up I'd be like, oh, okay, good. Here's exhibit A hit play and then you know but uh yeah that's uh that won't be today but yes the answer to that is yes uh let's see uh, um, i can't go into that um this one was good I thought this was a really good question. Um, Tim, just wanted to say how much I enjoyed the David Hun podcast. I know David is a busy guy and money matters, but if possible, you should try to make him a regularly occurring guest on the podcast. I agree with that. Uh, just kind of as a brief aside, I, I just because one acknowledges that money matters, then that doesn't mean that you can then go and then act like the money doesn't matter with the, with the ensuing clause because it doesn't change that the money does matter. Um, I would love to have him on. I, I truly could picture me. It's like, like what will the next thing be for me? Um, and I could see it being with ranging from young page views to learn to, uh, to David Hunt for real. Like it's like a, a potpourri of things. And I, it's not like any, I know that any of those people even want to work with my ass, but I'm just saying I picture things. And those are, those are three people I certainly could see. Um, Cause I sit here with David Hunt and I'm just like, this is, this is, I love these conversations. I mean, I love these conversations. It's like if I did have like my own thing, maybe I'd have him on just kind of as like a regular contributor. That's how I would view it. Cause I don't know if he's in a spot where he can do a show five days a week. 
But like when something's going on, he is just, I mean, I don't know if there's anybody more plugged in to St. Louis right now than David Hunt for real. And he's so good too. I mean, David Hunt should be a, a full-time radio guy if he can do it along with his reporting. He's, he's that good. He is outstanding. And he does have his own podcast um, at stltoday.com. But I love those conversations. So if you haven't listened to the David Hunt uh, interview this week, major recommendation on it. We go through the Steve Stanger stuff. We go through the Better Together uh, merger discussion. We go through the MLS discussion, and we go through the NFL lawsuits that are going on with St. Louis and where those stand. And he is he acknowledges that he is more confident now. Um, I guess I should say this. He used to think it was 0% that Stan Kroenke and Kevin Demoff would be deposed, and now he's starting to think that actually may happen. Not that he would bet on it. He still doesn't think it's going to, but now he could see how it could happen. And if you listened to the first time he was on, you were he was like, he fell out of his chair when I said, I think it's going to happen. Um, you know, and he, so that just kind of tells you where that thing is, is trending, but either way, he's so good. And he's, and you know, the other thing that I've noticed and I get it cause I'm the hell I did it earlier in this podcast. He isn't, he is, he's comfortable enough to go into some kind of the inside baseball at the post dispatch and kind of print journalism slash digital, which is good. Like I, I'm in a weird spot because I don't own and operate. And, and I, and I know that if I, if I, like I just said earlier, if, if I had somebody who was receiving a paycheck from me and that person was like airing private business about my business, I'd, I'd for real, I mean, it wouldn't be like, I'd like have, you know, like be screaming at it, but like, listen, that's not the way this place operates here. I don't know other places, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tolerate that crap. So if you have an issue, we can discuss it here, the two of us, but this is stuff that needs to stay inside the room. Uh, and that's why I'm not going to, but, but, but for real, dead serious. It's not like there was a whole lot of drama on, on the Plowhawks return. Um, I think the station realized just how important he is and how many people loved him. And I think it kind of sums it up. Um, and we're thrilled that that is the case. Um, but that's what, that's another thing that makes David so good. But, uh, this question, uh, from Brad, he continues for QFTA and I'm not trying to bust your balls, Brad. It's just in general, like people say, I know, I know it costs money, but, it's like, well, just because you say, but it doesn't mean like now, now that I've acknowledged that it costs money, it doesn't change that as a factor in the equation. So that's what I'm saying. This isn't at you, Brad. It's a general thing. For QFTA, I wanted to ask you about Pete Budigig. We went and listened to how pronounced it beforehand. Did I get it right? Because <laughs> we listened and we had some British woman pronouncing it. You're close. I'm afraid to try. You're, yeah, I know. And like, even after we pronounced it, he's, people are bailing on it by calling him Mayor Pete. <laughs> the South Bend, Indiana mayor, who certainly I think has the, some of the, the highest approval rating of the Democratic candidates right now. Uh, but we're not going to be breaking down the Democratic presidential race with this question. He says he seems to talk publicly about his faith quite a bit in a way that doesn't make me nauseous. In case you aren't aware, he is gay and is Christian. I was wondering your thoughts on Buttigieg. Uh, how he's been presenting his faith and how it is similar or different from the way Christianity is presented on the right. Also, am I a hypocrite for liking the way he talks about his faith but despising how most Christianity is talked about on the right? Just curious if my own biases are clouding my judgment. For the record, I consider myself a left-leaning moderate, and religiously I don't believe nor disbelieve any particular faith. Thanks. That comes from Brad Erd Brugger. Wow. Big uh, name email there with Mayor Pete and uh, Brad. Brad, thank, I, that's, I mean, it's an outstanding question. It's, a, it's an incredibly, in my opinion, astute question. Um, I watched Mayor Pete. Um, I've, I've watched him on a couple of interviews. 
And I, in one of the interviews that I did see, he did talk about his faith. And, um, and I did love the way he talked about it. To take a step back on Mayor Pete, and I'm sure, God, I don't know, 50% of the people listening might not even know who this guy is. I, Pete, I assume you know who he is. I do. Okay. I would imagine 50% of the people listening don't. Maybe that, maybe that, that maybe that's aggressive. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's even higher. Maybe it's super low. I don't know. But he's certainly great gaining traction. And I think, I think if they were to hold the Democratic primary right now and take your pick, well, I guess it would have to matter on what state it would be. Um, I think he would, he would be certainly top three and he might win it. At this exact moment, now, a year from now, people go, oh, yeah, Mayor Pete, wasn't that a cute story for a time? I mean, these things change real quickly. The thing I've noticed about him, and this is not fair because this is not coming from a well-researched place. This is, this is a first impression. I th- he, he talks in, like, if, if somebody were to say, if you were a political candidate, who would you be most like? as far as the way you would talk at this particular time in American history? And the answer is Mayor Pete. Without question, he says a lot of things that resonate with me. Um, I like the fact, and he actually, one of the places I saw him was on Bill Maher. And I, he says, I mean, he says what's the shit that I've actually said on, on, on this podcast so many times, that you're not going to win people over by calling them racist if they voted for Donald Trump or calling them dumb. And like Bill Maher, like pushed back on that. And he's like, yeah, you just, I mean, you, you, Bill, you can do it as a host, feel free. But if you're, if you're going to try and, and really get people to see your perspective by shitting on them, it's not going to work. And to me, that just seems so like kind of obvious, but I don't, but I guess it's, it's somewhat contrarian, which is odd to me, but that's, that's how it is, I guess at this moment. Um, and so I like that. And he has a lot of he has a lot of great platitudes. I think sometimes platitudes comes with a negative connotation. Um, but I don't know much about how he would actually govern in policy. Um, and so right now, like, do I like what I hear? Yes. Do I think he is a good person? That's my read. Absolutely. I do. Uh, not that he needs my blessing, but so much of how I vote is based on that in- intuition of whether or not I think if somebody were alone and having to make a decision, would he or she act in the best interests of the greater good or would he or she act in their own best interests or in their legacy's best interests or something along those lines? Um, you know, and, and that, that, which is totally unfair. I mean, it's, it's, it's like somebody saying, no, I, I took a hit on 18 just because I had a feeling a three was coming, you know, and it's just, it's so fucking abstract and bullshit. So I, I deserve every criticism for that, but that's, that's where I am. And then I get into the, to, 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 to the policy. Um, so specific to, to your question, Brad, regarding how he talks about his faith, how he talks about his faith, um, is how I view, I can't speak. I, I, I was raised Catholic and, and I went to Catholic grade school and Catholic high school and, and, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I studied religion in college, but I took some fundamentals of religion classes at the University of Missouri. So there's my background. And it's always struck me that that for some people who make sure that you know that they are Christian, they behave in ways that, at least in my experience with my education on Christianity and or reading the Bible, is the opposite of it. And it's just kind of like accepted and it really fucks me up 
that it's just kind of like accepted that like being anti-gay in some corners of America right now is considered a Christian position. But in some corner, not for everybody, I'm sure plenty of people are like, hold on a second. I consider myself Christian, but I have zero problem with, with someone who's homosexual. And I understand they exist, but I'm talking about politically that that's a platform um, or being anti-gay marriage, you know, or getting into spending an hour on a debate on a North Carolina bathroom. Uh, just standard wedge issue shit to get people fired up and make them vote in a certain way. I mean, it's, it's, this is not unique to any party, for the record. But when, when again, talking about his interview with Bill Maher, and then Bill Maher, who makes it very clear that he's not only not religious, but mocks those who are, uh, which I also think, but, but again, he's a, he's a host. It's not like he's running for office. Um, he said, well, you know, he goes, I don't, I, he goes, I think, he, you know, Bill Maher was saying, you know, I just think religion is something that people concoct to make themselves feel better about the fact that when they die, that there's a place that they're going to go in the sky, you know, cause kind of like a little condescending dig, which is what he does. I mean, he only did a movie on it. Uh, and, 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 and where he's coming from. I, I totally understand, and I guess if you told me I had to bet on what's going on, I would actually agree with it. I just wouldn't phrase it that way, but he's welcome to phrase it that way. Uh, that that then, you know, Mayor Pete uh, then responds. He goes, well, I don't know what's going to happen to you, which is, which is my response, too. And it would be my response to somebody, like, coming after me for being agnostic. But if somebody were making fun of somebody who would take your pick, I don't give a damn what religion it is, making fun of anybody. I don't care if they're Muslim, Jewish, Christian. It doesn't matter. We can't pick and choose which ones are safe to make fun of. Uh, although that certainly, I think, goes on. Uh, the, the, I don't know what's going to happen. Do you? Don't. So in the meantime, I think there are a lot of teachings in the Bible, because that's what I've been exposed to as a Catholic, that I personally find to be a good way to live, personally. I'm not telling anybody else, but that's my personal experience. And so many of these teachings would fall more in line with this gay mayor from Indiana, his view on religion, which is where he's coming from, um, you know, to feed the hungry, you know, to treat the poor with respect. Those kind, those kinds of elements, and that's where he's coming from. Not, you know, not what I consider to be this hijacked version of Christianity that's become really popular around certain parts of the United States since 1980, in particular, 1980. Not a coincidence. And but, it, but in the meantime, by the way, two things on this. In the meantime, I wrote a study. Came out in March. It was by a gentleman. I can't recall. It was I think it was University of Eastern Illinois that people who describe themselves as non-religious or not ascribing to any particular religion in America is for the first time equal to the people number of people who describe themselves as Catholic and the number of people who describe themselves as evangelical and that it has actually decreased. And for me, so much of where I'm coming from on where I am is that so many people, not all, because as I always say, anytime this topic comes up, some of the best people I know, some of whom would be my parents, uh, my in-laws, uh, Kurt Warner comes to mind immediately. Aeneas Williams comes to mind immediately, uh, are incredibly religious people are some of the best people. 
in my experience, in my personal interpersonal exchanges, and, and in not any particular dom- denomination, by the way. I mean, my parents are Catholic. My in-laws are Lutheran. I'm not sure what church uh, or denomination of Christianity Kurt Warner and Aeneas Williams are. I have no, it doesn't matter. They're just great people who treat people really well. Um, that that I that because of witnessing hypocrisy has been a turnoff for me. And from a Catholic perspective and what has gone on with the Catholic Church from a sexual abuse standpoint. And, you know, I, I don't—I I certainly would not say I was abused by a priest at all, but I would say um, that there were things that went on um, growing up that now I look back on it. When I was in second grade, I wasn't thinking of it. Then I look back and I go, wow, that was absolutely creepy. There's no way around it. Uh, you go to confession and the priest would ask for a hug, and he always would, and he did it with everybody. And that was— I mean, that there's just, you know, I mean, I think, I think I, I'm sure some of you are just like, like getting creep chills right now when you hear that, but that's what happened. And then later on, this guy was one of the many who were named, um, in the sexual abuse scandal and, uh, and then not sexually abused, but, uh, my freshman year at St. Louis U high, a Jesuit, I don't know if he was a, a fully ordained priest at the time out of nowhere got so pissed off that I was in the back of the classroom and he was at the front of the class and he took a coffee mug and he threw it at my head and it m- just missed my head by a couple of inches and it shattered right next to me. I'm going, wow. But I mean, it was like my first week there and I, I heard these Jesuits were tough, but holy shit. So I didn't know any better. Well, he's since been um, kicked out. So, you know, there's that element of his hypocrisy from people who are of the cloth, and then there's the element of hypocrisy from the, um, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm sitting in the front row at church so you all see me. I'm going to make sure I let you know about my charity, or I'm going to post about, you know, this or that religious experience. I'm just like, that's, I mean, in my, again, maybe my, maybe the, the Bible I read, different operation, but it seemed like humility was was what was held in high regard and not calling attention to one's faith. Uh, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the Beatitudes, if I can, can go back to, to these theology classes and I just don't get it much less being somebody of faith, but then just being like a really shitty person when there's, there's no attention on them. Um, and so that's what that's what for me has turned me off. Why I also believe there are probably some people who politically have have been turned off by it, uh, and then that has decreased their interest in religion. So that has gone on. Now, running parallel to this discussion, uh, just last night, I read an article. Um, Michelle Bachman, um, former uh, representative from Minnesota ran for president, um, and she uh, is quoted in an interview saying that, and I know for some people they will immediately just, like, go into knee-jerk laughter. However, the article, uh, I think, provides some insight. Uh, Michelle Bachman says, Donald Trump is highly biblical, and I would say to your listeners, we will in all likelihood never see a more godly, biblical president again in our lifetime. So we need to not only be praying for him, we need to support him, in my opinion, every possible way that we can. And I bring this up not to mock it. Um, 
because it goes on to explain where that perspective is coming from. Like, it's easy to just dismiss it and go, okay, that's just like, you know, it's like, it's like, like a, like, it's almost like a skit, you know, it's so comical, but okay, fine. But there are a number of people who, who feel this way. Um, he experienced in the 2016, uh, presidential election, 80% of the vote of evangelical or born again Christians voted for Donald Trump. So if you, you're, you're welcome to, to laugh at it, but it's a real part of what took place in November 16 and what will take place in November 20, whether or not he wins, it's still going to be, it's a real thing. And what I thought in this article I was reading that was very enlightening um, is uh, something that Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham, said. And now people say, well, Frank, how can you defend him when he's lived such a sordid life? I never said he was the best example of the Christian faith. He defends the faith. And I appreciate that very much. And so that, I think, I think, as somebody who is not evangelical, uh, I think is the reason why. Because I, when I talked with the Senator Danforth um, after the, the election, he said one of the things that confuses him most about this whole situation is the support of evangelicals. For he said, "I can't for the life of me figure it out." Well, that 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 if you are getting, even if you go, okay, this guy is whatever thing that you don't like about him, he is still advancing the agendas of what we believe is right for our culture, and whether that be the abortion issue and the Supreme Court appointees or Israel, take your pick. That is uh, also the military ban on transgender personnel. I mean, take take your pick. That is, per this, per Franklin Graham, that is the explanation. So even though Mayor Pete may have what at least I consider to be an actual more literal, which is amazing to say, uh, the, the gay mayor from South Bend, Indiana has a more literal interpretation of practicing one's faith than the person who received 80% of the vote from evangelicals. How many evangelicals do you think are going to be voting for Mayor Pete if he is on the ticket against Donald Trump in November, 2020? And how will that play out by the way, if the two of those gentlemen wind up debating each other? Um, so I, I think your observation, uh, Brad, couldn't be any more spot on. Um, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching it, because I, I find Bill Maher amusing. I just find the dismissal of Trump voters as either bigots or stupid as just so typical, for lack of a better term, of what is perceived by some who did vote for Donald Trump or some who are just hardcore conservatives as being, yeah, this is why... I just can't get on board with, you know, a liberal perspective because it's like they just like, you know, I voted for Donald Trump and I know I'm not racist, you know, or I, you know, I, I have an MBA from Harvard and I voted for Donald Trump and I'm being called stupid. I mean, it just, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. 
It's, but again, he's a talk show host. It's a different program, you know. It's a, he's, and he's a comedian. It's a different. It's a different operation. So I'm not like chastising it. It's just I think it then kind of gets intentionally or unintentionally plagiarized by liberals, and then it just kind of becomes this accepted talking point that if you did vote for him, then you're a racist. And I just and I think calling somebody a racist is such a defining term that can blow up one's professional or personal life that I just take it so seriously. I mean, I, across the board, by the way, and I just, it, it just, you know, or calling someone stupid, even if I'm like, yeah, person probably doesn't have a real good grasp on what is really going on as if I do, you know, but, but I'm not going to call them stupid because it's just, what, what, what's going to be accomplished. You know, so you have to try to calm the emotions and never get to a point where you go, that's just fucking stupid, you know, but I see that going on. So I, you know, right now, if you said to me, who is going to win the Democratic nominee? My God, I truly have no idea. Would I bet on Mayor Pete? No, I would not. But if it were going on right now, if if the the whole thing was going to be determined on April seventeenth, two thousand nineteen, I think he would have as good a chance as anybody. I really do. Uh, and I and I'll tell you this: as far as how people vote, which is, do I like this person so often? You're going to like him if you're not familiar with him. You're going to like him. And a lot, and that's the other thing. A lot of conservatives or people who voted for Trump like him. I mean, what a, you know, my God. It's like when, when you had, uh, I don't know if you had these gangster Pete growing up, like we had book covers on our textbooks at grade school at St. Gabriel's. And like, it was like advertising, but then it was like a list of all the presidents. Right. You know, and it stopped and ruler. It stopped. Yes. With the ruler. That's right. And it stopped. It stopped, you know, for me, I guess, with George H.W. Bush. But if you have a string of years that you have Barack Obama, Donald Trump and Pete Buttigieg, I think yeah. I, I, I might have gotten it right there. That was the best one. Yeah. I'm excited about that. We need to clip that off. <laughs> uh, wow. I mean, but, you know, I, I have to I have to allocate some probability to it. I have to allocate some probability to it. But I'm anxious where he is from a policy standpoint. But the thing is, I think I would, I think he'd be considered moderate. But what's going to happen? Like I, lo- one thing I did love about the, the, I think if I'm not mistaken, I loved about the interview with Mars. Like they didn't, even, I, I, I think, and I could be wrong. Somebody might go, oh my god, they absolutely talked about. It. Maybe they didn't. There was an interview I saw with him, and it didn't even bring up the fact that he was gay, which I think is great. I think that's great. Will it be brought up if he is the Democratic nominee? Oh, my God, yes, it will be. Will it be a reason why people don't vote for him? Oh, my God, yes, it will be. Absolutely. But at the same time, it cuts both ways. All of Hollywood is rallying and making all these donations to him. And I can't help but think, for some of them, it's because he is gay. And I just don't give a fuck he's gay, you know? He just seems like a good, smart person. And that's what I care about. <laughs> you know, he could be, as you know, from my interests, the hottest lesbian of all time could be running for president. Be very tempting for me. But if I don't consider to be a good, smart person, that's not going to be the determining factor. So I just feel like this stuff goes on and I just kind of like, oh, you're voting for this person because he or she was born with this particular trait. Uh, good question though. I uh, digress. All right, we, oh, we got to see. We got a bunch of cute. Holy moly, cockatoli. Maybe I need to save this one. How long have I been going, Gangster Pete? I'm, Fifty-five. I'm probably, oh, then I got to. I got to wrap it up. I got to wrap it up. Um, 
we'll, but at least we have a bunch now for, for next week. Uh, so, um, as always, thank you to the sponsors, uh, the home our studio sponsor, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, and, uh, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Seth Goldcamp, Design Air Heating and Cooling, and everybody in the Landoff family at Johnny Landoff Chevrolet Highway 270 and the Washington Elizabeth exit or online at Landoff.com Chevy find new roads. Our sponsors make it possible. If you want to sponsor the program, email me. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. Why don't we go out and play golf? And maybe in your mind, oh, Tim's going to take me to play golf, and we'll probably have a drink, and I have zero intent on advertising. Hell, I don't even have a job. But he's not going to look into that. That's fine with me. I'll play golf. I'm fine with that. So let's do that. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I'd like to advertise on TMA. And now I'm on board with TMA. The Plowhawk is back. I'm excited. I'm reborn myself. And I want to advertise on the podcast. Or I just want to advertise on TMA. Email me, T. McKernan, InsideSTL.com. Do you have a question for questions from the audience? Email me, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. For all of the sponsors, for Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. We conquer cancer. For the mom-to-be who is out of treatment options. For the doctor who has a brilliant idea but needs research funding. For the people who faced cancer head-on and climbed incredible heights while they were with us. For the children who celebrate the end of chemo. We conquer cancer for all who have been touched by it. Conquer Cancer accelerates breakthroughs in research and care for every cancer, every patient, everywhere. Join us at conquer.org.